0: You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear from an investigative reporter who recently uncovered concerning details about how a top employee at the state's utility regulator was fired after raising the alarm about mismanagement.
1: The utilities were actually just allowed to self-report what they thought they owed and then pay whatever they thought they owed. And nobody was really paying any attention to whether or not they were saying that they, were owed, the, they owed the right amount or whether they were actually paying the right amount. That's basically what was happening. And in the, in the main accounting office, they would get indications that these uh, accruals were owed. At the end of the fiscal year, rather than say, hey, did you collect this? They would just reset the amount to zero and just kind of assume that everything went what it was supposed to.
0: I'm Laura Wenis, and this is CIVIC.
1: CIVIC is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.
0: After she pointed to millions of dollars in uncollected fees for public services and alleged serious mismanagement problems, the director of California's utility regulator was fired commissioners with the California Public Utilities Commission said the director had misled the public and that her actions were questionable. But an investigation by the Bay City News Foundation and ProPublica looked into the firing and found the director had been right about the missing money. The story is titled, She Noticed $200 Million Missing, Then She Was Fired. I talked with a reporter on the story, Scott Morris, about what he uncovered. He's an investigative journalist in Oakland who's been working for the last year through the ProPublica Local Reporting Network in partnership with the Bay City News Foundation. So before we get into the details of what happened with the CPUC, could you explain the difference between the California Public Utilities Commission, like the actual commission made up of commissioners, and the agency, which has staff and leadership of its own, because we're going to be talking about a top employee of the CPUC and the head of the commission in this conversation, and I want to make sure people understand what those are.
1: Yeah, I mean, the CPUC is kind of an old and complicated organization um, that, you know, has a lot happening. The, the, the commissioners uh, is, is a board of five members who, you know, is basically the government of the CPUC, so they're, they're in charge of um, it just you know they are appointed by the governor to to run the not the day-to-day operations but kind of set the policy and overall direction of the CPUC um and then within that you know they hire a staff who you know has investigative investigative powers who is able who um you know is actually does like the the elbow work of running the CPUC and holding utilities accountable and retrieving records and then there's also a, a whole other portion of it that is um, judicial and, and is administrative law judges. And they're the ones that are kind of educating, um, you know, when uh, utilities ask for rate increases and uh, decide on, you know, what that's going to look like.
0: And the California public utilities commission in general, as, as a whole, it is California's utilities regulator, right? What kinds of things does it regulate?
1: Regulates all kinds of things. Um, I, they started with railroads and, and that was the, in, you know, in the, Early 1900s, uh, the most powerful utility operator in California was the railroad industry, um, and people were really concerned about the power that they'd been accumulating. Um, and so the, the CPUC was actually created to respond to that. And so they started out with every inch of, of California's railroads, and then they added electric, gas, uh, transportation, um, You know, Uber and Lyft, or even under uh, the CPC's jurisdiction now.
0: So this summer, the California Public Utilities Commission fired its top employee, Alice Stebbins, and members of the actual commission said she had violated personnel rules and that her allegations that around $200 million were missing from programs for blind, deaf, and poor Californians were also false. Well, Alice Stebbins said she was wrongfully fired. Can you lay out the accusations against her that got her fired? And then we'll go through piece by piece what she contests about that.
1: The commissioners were pointing to a state personnel board report. So the state personnel board, they're kind of part of the operations of of the California government and, and look at hiring practices. And they found that she had hired five former colleagues, and they claimed that these colleagues were unqualified for the position that they had. And one of them in particular, they said that Alice had improperly given a raise to. Taken all that together, they said that, you know, she was basically engaging in nepotism and that these were uh, fireable offenses. You know, there's a lot of complicated details there, but that's kind of the broad strokes of it.
0: Mm -hmm. And let's get into this $200 million that she found was missing and, and that the commission actually denied was a problem. You found evidence that they were, in fact, missing. These are millions of dollars owed to the commission. Where were they supposed to have come from? And how did you find out that they were missing?
1: Alice discovered it um, because the, there was a lot of indications that the CPUC had really bad fiscal controls, that the, their, their accounting practices were really odd, that all these different organizations were siloed within the CPUC, and she you know, had started an investigation into that. Well, the first audit that they did came back and said, yeah, the CPUC is owed $49.9 million. A lot of that has been owed for years and years and years, um, and also... There's a problem with a lot of fees that get tacked onto, um, particularly phone bills uh, that are supposed to go to programs, aren't actually tracked by the main accounting office. So these fees are tracked by the programs. So the the Lifeline program, which provides phone service for poor folks, or the Deaf and Disabled Telecommunications Program, which provides for service for uh, uh, phone service for people who are suffering from disabilities, who are deaf, who are blind, uh, a few other programs. Uh, were owed just millions and millions of dollars, but they weren't tracked in the main accounting office, so they weren't caught by that uh, So Alice Stebbins and a different auditor, Bernard Azevedo, started looking more deeply into that part of it and found that the utilities were actually just allowed to self-report what they thought they owed and then pay whatever they thought they owed. And nobody was really paying any attention to whether or not they were saying that they were owed the, they owed the right amount or whether they were uh, actually paying the right amount.
0: So the utility regulator is supposed to be collecting certain fees from utilities. And instead of holding them accountable for that, the utility regulator is saying, well, just pay what you think is right. uh, And I'm sure that's correct. Is that, that's what was happening here?
1: That's basically what was happening. And (laughs) in in the, in the main accounting office, you know, they, they would get indications that these, these uh, accruals rode. at the end of the fiscal year, rather than say, "Hey, did you collect this?" they would just reset the amount to zero and just kind of assume that everything what? went what is it was supposed to.
0: <laughs> and this is how we ended up with millions of dollars missing from programs like like a program that's called Lifeline, <laughs> so programs for people who really depend on these things.
1: This is this is how they've been managing the money in these programs, um, and and there's a lot of evidence for that. <laughs> And we, you know, I think the audit like pointed out that the, these fees were self-reported and said, hey, we can't even tell how much you're owed. We we were 50, 50 million in that audit was a starting point because they said all these other programs are still outstanding. And and we weren't able to get to all of this, so we we actually don't know. And, and as it stands, two hundred million dollars still could be a lowball estimate because you know Alice Stebbins was working on this investigation and she was fired, and she's not convinced that they figured out everything.
0: Well, there's a bit of a leap there between fifty million that this audit found and two hundred million that she says was missing. You did find evidence that it was a full two hundred million that was missing. Where where did you see that?
1: When I reached out to the CPUC for a response. They sent me back two documents, and one of them was a, uh, was the statement that the CPC president, Maribel Batcher, gave to, at Alice Steppen's firing hearing. And in that, she said that uh, it was not true that the CPC was owed $200 million. The other document was a letter from the CPC's counsel uh, that went to Stevens' attorneys and that letter had an attached memo from the Department of Finance opening an investigation into a missing 200.4 million dollars.
0: Oh. <laughs> Okay then, <laughs> um, let's let's talk about uh, the president of the commission and sort of the interaction um, between the president of the, of the commission and and Alice Stebbins and her role. You wrote that Stebbins was recruited by the previous president of the commission to clean up a dysfunctional agency. Then she found that some of her employees didn't know basic information about the utilities that they were supposed to be regulating. <laughs> you wrote that in one case they didn't even have current contact information for water companies that they were regulating. Um. I, First, who was this previous president, um, and and how did the previous president bring in the person who the subsequent president then tried to fire?
1: So the previous president was uh, Michael Picker. He was appointed by Jerry Brown um, after a series of scandals involving the previous, previous president, uh, and that, you know, who, who was communicating behind closed doors with the utilities, and uh, ended up having his, um, home and office raided by the state attorney general's office. He was never charged with anything, but there was definitely a criminal investigation there that, that was kind of left the agency demoralized after that series of scandals. So, um, Jerry Brown brought in this new president, Michael Picker, who was, uh, you know, a, a, he was working on green energy in Brown's cabinet. Um, and, uh, you know, I Picker. Uh, had a lot to deal with then he said he i, I talked to him in an interview he said that uh the, you know that there was just the, the staff was demoralized he thought that it was um too centered in san francisco that it should be more spread out throughout the state um that they were having trouble with recruiting uh and and, and he was worried about these fiscal issues and so they did a, a extensive search for an executive director uh they went you know, they hired a recruiter. They they interv- like the, the recruiter reached out to, um, you know, she said hundreds of candidates, uh, and eventually um, the commissioners settled on Stebbins, mm-hmm. and she, uh, they found, was a really experienced administrator um, who had a reputation for being able to come in and kind of be able to streamline an agency. She had an auditing background. Um, she'd been a forensic accountant with the Department of Justice. She'd uh, worked on budgets of, like various state agencies. She'd worked at the Air Resources Board, the uh, Water Resources Control Board. Um, and so she just had, you know, this 30-year track record uh, that they found really impressive. And my impression was it wasn't even a question that Alice was just a clear favorite in that process.
0: And actually, I just said something that I'm not really sure is is fair to say, but so correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, it do, It does seem like the... The current president maribel batcher um was trying to uh was concerned about Alice Stebbins and was trying to it was encouraging the process or moving the process along of getting her fired um does your reporting indicate that
1: yes uh we the 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 current president um so Alice Stebbins was hired in 2018. Uh, the following year, uh, Michael Picker retired from the agency, and uh, Gavin Newsom appointed Maribel Badr as president of the commission. On uh, in in the summer of 2019, uh, she took the office in August, and by um, and she had come over from the uh, government operations. She was secretary, of government operations, and Jerry Brown, and then Gavin Newsom's cabinet, and. So that oversees actually CalHR and the State Personnel Board. These are these are things that were under her jurisdiction in that position. Mm. So when she joins the CPUC a month later, she was texting the then acting Secretary of GovOps and saying that she had concerns about um, the an, a raise that Alice Stebbins had given to an auditor she'd hired. And that she it wasn't clear exactly what the purpose of the text message was, but she said that she had concerns with Stebbins, and she gets a reply from that acting secretary of govOps saying, "Hey, yeah, we're gonna help you."
0: We're gonna help you um does does it does it seem like that connection uh ended up resulting in Stebbins firing?
1: Acting that Secretary of GovOps denies that she influenced or triggered the investigation. Um, she said that she sent Batcher back to the state personnel board or that she referred, you know, that go through proper channels. Um, mm-hmm. It's unclear why Maribel Batcher, who was previously Secretary of GovOps, would need to be referred to that proper channel.
0: I see. And let's just suss out the details here of what the accusations were regarding that raise that Stebbins gave to an auditor that she had hired. You had mentioned that she was also being accused of nepotism. What did you find in terms of where those accusations came from, what they were, and whether they were supported?
1: Alice had worked with uh, that auditor, Bernard Azevedo, at a previous position. He had applied I mean, and a lot of people told me that they applied because, you know, they liked Alice and they they liked working with her and they liked her style. They liked her leadership. Um, and so, uh, you know, he was one of the people that said he came over because of that. Um, she liked him because he was an experienced auditor, administrator. And, uh, you know, the state personnel board alleged that he was just unqualified for the position. Um, they, they pointed to the, that he didn't have a college degree and they actually understated a lot of his qualifications and said that 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 he had hadn't had any management experience and that you know he he hadn't had any experience with budgets but he he was the branch chief at the at the um, air resources board and he was overseeing a staff of 65 accountants and managers and he was working with them on the budget and you know all this stuff was left out of that report um and the you know he he wrote an appeal to the state personnel board that's pending um, but in his appeal, he wrote that, you know, every other candidate had a decade less experience in government than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had his interview notes attached to it. And you look at the interviews and he's just rated excellent across the board. Um, and they, you know, and, and other candidates are getting scores like average, poor, fair. Um, and, the, you know, there there just didn't seem to be any question that he was the most qualified candidate. Now, they, the state personnel board goes and says that, Alice had uh, somehow manipulated that interview process, but they don't allege that she said anything explicitly stating a preferred candidate. They don't like, give any details about how she manipulated this interview process or how she pressured anybody to change the scores. One person had said that he felt pressured to change the scores, but he didn't say why. He didn't say that Alice had ever said anything to him that indicated that.
0: I'm speaking with investigative reporter Scott Morris about his story for the Bay City News Foundation and ProPublica about the firing of the director of the state's utility regulator. So you revealed that commissioners had been texting about Stebbins, not just the president of the commission to someone else in in Governor Newsom's cabinet, but to each other. What were they saying and and why is it a problem?
1: They were talking. They, there was extensive text messages between the commissioners talking about the state personnel board report. Um, they uh, had problems with what Stebbins was saying to them about it. Um, they had probably they, they would discuss, you know, kind of their analysis of the report, their their um, their their interpretation of her defenses, uh, and. They, you know, they were even uh, consoling each other emotionally and and just saying, "This poor Maribel is having a really hard time with this." And and you know, thank you so much, my friend. And and uh, this kind of, and, and it, it, you know, is all hours of the day and night. And the reason that I mean, this is a really big problem. This is very illegal. Um, the the commissioners, as a public body, are subject to the Bagley Keene Act, which is an open meeting law, which requires that if these, they're making decisions and they're discussing decisions they make that they be done in the context of a meeting they can't talk with a with a quorum a majority of the commissioners outside of a public meeting and, and they were just flagrantly breaking this law um you know we talked to a few lawyers about it and it, there just doesn't seem to be any way around it you know three four of them on a group text together that's a majority of commissioners that's explicitly illegal you can have a conversation between two commissioners but you can't extend that to a majority. So if two of them have a conversation and then relay that substance of that conversation to a third person, then it becomes illegal as well. Um, they were doing that all the time. They said, hey, I just talked to Maribel and, and she told me this or, you know, and, and it it was just again and again and again, um, they were just talking to each other about this and, and just saying, you know, explicitly, you would see like Maribel go on to a text and say, can you go and tell a different commissioner about what we talked about here. There just doesn't seem to be any regard for the law in this case. and
0: what do the commissioners say about these text messages and lawyers saying that this is an obvious violation of law?
1: They didn't say anything. um the The CPC wouldn't comment on it because there is because they said there was pending litigation, uh, and there is there are two petitions in the appeals court seeking to overturn Stebbin's termination based on the illegal process. At the time of publication, the CPC had not responded to either of them and it had been filed for months.
0: And what did they say anything about the other things that your reporting revealed? I mean, did they talk to you at all?
1: They did. You know, a lot of things that they talked to us about were uh, really inconsistent. Some of the things were outright false. Um, they, for example, uh, <clears throat> the State Personnel Board report in, in a different section, That's it, it said a person was, was passed over for a position that went to a less qualified candidate. Um, it wasn't the example we're talking about before. It was a different example. But they said that this person had been passed over for a position. When Alice Stebbins was fired, these people, two people, including this person that said they were passed over for a position, called in the meeting and said that, the, the things in the, they were in the state personnel board report and it wasn't true. And this person what? said that, uh, said in a public meeting that they were not actually running for that position, that they had applied for that position, but they were actually seeking something else and had no intent of taking that position. And they ended up taking a different job later. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I asked them about this, um, they said that, it just wasn't true that anyone in the meeting had disputed the facts of the state personnel board report. And and I mean, this is, this is a meeting that was on tape that's you can go on their website and watch it. It, It's, it's very, you know, it it was a a video conference meeting and there was a long public comment period. And this person called in and clearly says what's in there is not true. And they just, didn't seem concerned about that. And, and even, you know, the way they characterized that meeting to me was just a blatant falsehood. Um, and, and there was a lot of things like that. And, you know, when it comes to the money, they just kind of said, their defense appears to be that this is how accounting works, that, that Alice Stebbins just doesn't understand accounting. And this is a person who's been an accountant for the state for 30 years. And they just she just doesn't understand how this works and doesn't understand that, you know, it's totally normal to end the fiscal year with $200 million in outstanding debt. I asked them to demonstrate that that had been collected. They said that, you know, the $200 million was as of the end of the 2019 fiscal year. They said, well, we expected to collect that the following year. And I said, did you collect it? Did can you show me evidence that you collected it? I didn't get any.
0: Mm. Wow. (laughs) And then another person that I imagine you probably wanted to hear from is Governor Newsom, because at the end of the year, at the end of 2020, he reappointed Mary Bell Batcher. This is after your story came out revealing all of this. Did he or his office acknowledge your story at all or have anything to say about why he reappointed her?
1: Uh, I reached out to Newsom's office uh, prior to publication. Um, I kind of got brushed off. Uh, They didn't really want to say anything about Stebbins firing or whether or not they would reappoint Batcher. Since the stories come out, I have not seen or heard the governor say anything about it. And as far as I know, you know, he, he doesn't appear to be concerned about it.
0: This is not the first scandal in the CPUC's history. As you mentioned previously, there was an issue with a former president who had to resign after it came out that he and his staff were helping PG&E executives pick the judge for a rate case. The public press has reported about the CPUC um, and its regulation of Uber and Lyft in which they kept ride hailing safety data secret. And I think that rule was changed after that reporting came out. But could you say a little bit more about some of the previous issues here and, and the history of the CPUC?
1: I mean, the CPUC has has faced allegations of regulatory capture basically since its inception. I mean, they're dealing with massively powerful industries here um, hmm. that, that just have billions and billions of dollars at their disposal. I mean, pg and can can throw you know, so much money at lawyers to, to fight CPC rules. And there's just been kind of an, an endless tension in terms of, you know, wh- who, who's really running the CPC, whether it's the people of California or whether it's the utilities. And, mm. and, and, and I mean, you see it in just in how the CPC, how, how PG&E has been managed the same problems, just keep cropping up again and again and again. I mean, it, we started this year, uh, reporting a lot about PG and E and then ended up in the CPC just because of this this scandal broke. But it seems to be a constant challenge to behold these massive utilities accountable. And the CPC just hasn't seemed equipped to do it. And and that's the thing is you know, back then it was even more explicit because you had that previous president Michael Peavy. What he he was a I'm trying to remember which Age, I think it was Southern California Edison that he was an executive for before he became the CPUC right. president. And uh, he, you know, so that he had relationships with this industry, just direct interest there. And, uh, you know, he, he was the see, he was president for something like 12 years. And it was only after San Bruno when the city had to sue the CPUC just to get public records out of them. And then found about all this, and it, and it was only because San Bruno so aggressively fought the CPC that a lot of that came out. And then it turned out that there was even more going on that the, he was having, not only secret meeting, secret communications with pg but also with Edison. And so that the, there's just so much going on there, um, and there's so many problems that pg e has to deal with. And uh, you know, with, with the amount of uh, just disorganization that, you know, people like Alice Stebbins described there, that even if the CPC is willing to hold the utilities accountable, it doesn't seem able to.
0: Yeah, that is something that struck me about this story. And and I don't know if this is something you can answer, um, you know, in your capacity as a as a journalist, but I'm struck by just like how it, I I can't immediately tell, and maybe this is just because I'm uninformed, but who benefits from this whole situation with Alice Stebbins? Like who benefits from firing somebody who apparently evidence suggests was actually cleaning up the agency and trying to make it more effective at its job?
1: Yeah, and I I can't really answer that. And and the why of this has been a big question for me. And and you know we really try to get to the bottom of that. Um, I know the Stebbins attorneys have, have raised some allegations that the, the utilities may have have um, actually pressured them to do that. I haven't seen any evidence that that's the case. Uh, I don't know why this happened. I, I and, and it's it's uh, it's the really that's the big outstanding question of this is, is why did this really happen? Because the the it seems like that the falsehoods in the state personnel board report should have at least given the commissioners pause, but they were really on track to do this, and and nothing was going to deter them from it and you know and and compared to 200 million dollars in missing money it just doesn't seem like the right priority you know the commissioners would have to explain their reasoning on this but you know unfortunately none of them would talk to me
0: right so as you mentioned there are some um lawsuits some appeals against her termination what happens next what will you be watching out for
1: um there's a few different things that are coming down um there are uh, you know, the, the, there's the petitions that I mentioned um, for the illegal text messages that could overturn her termination. Um, she is uh, she filed a wrongful termination lawsuit in San Francisco Superior Court. Um, so, you know that that'll be that could take a while to progress, but that that'll be ongoing. Um, and the, the Department of Finance launched an investigation into the missing money um, from the CPC, and uh, you know that hopefully we will be done in the next couple of months and give some answers about what was really going on there.
0: Well, Scott, thanks for keeping an eye on this. Thanks for doing this investigation and for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. That was investigative reporter Scott Morris. Find his story at ProPublica.org. It's titled, She Noticed $200 Million Missing, Then She Was Fired. If you missed our previous conversations on this show about the California Public Utilities Commission, check out our podcast with Loretta Lynch, a former commissioner. It's titled, Regulation Activist, Grid Mismanagement Led to Blackouts. To hear about how the CPUC reversed course on keeping ride-hailing safety data secret, look for the episode, Some Hope for Ride-Hailing Safety Transparency After Unanimous Regulator Vote. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic.
1: Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.